if you don't know Nikki, and, and I don't know how you don't know Nikki because she's so involved in so many things in our church. Um, she, Nikki is such a blessing to us at this church and a blessing to me and many of the other leaders because she in, is involved in so many different things and helps make a lot of things happen. Um, so I'm so pleased that you're speaking to us today, Nikki. Can I just pray for you? Father, thank you for Nikki. Thank you for her heart after you. Thank you for the way that she serves this church. And I just pray, Lord, that, that I thank you for the words you've given her. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us to hear all her heart and what you have put on her heart this morning. Amen. Hello. Um, come and do a TED Talk, they said. You've got seven minutes, they said. Everybody else dropped out, so it's just me today, afraid. Um, so Mike's already mentioned it's Christmas soon. Um, I'm sorry if that fills some of you with dread, but I'm going to give you some dates now. Uh, there are 31 days and five hours until Christmas. And that means for those of you like me who get excited, there are only 32 sleeps left until Christmas Day. Um, now, I love everything about Christmas. It's Advent next week. It's the first Sunday in Advent. And I... I just love it. It just fills me with excitement. And this year, I'm even more excited because Jem, who is my very organized husband, had a couple of days off over half term. We have done our Christmas shopping. Just going to lay that out there. All done. Finished. Um, so I'm really relaxed, really excited. But one of the things that I really love about Christmas is when we go to uh, my home church and we go every year to their carol service. Um, and it's one of our traditions in our family that kind of really starts off the Christmas season for us. Um, and it's not only an amazing service, but it reminds me of the build-up when, when I was a kid um, and that excitement that you used to feel. Um, now, um, because of Gem and my aged years this year, we will, well, I will have been going probably about 55 times to that same carol service. Um, and the service itself never changes. It's called Nine Lessons and Carols, and you get exactly what it says on the program. You get nine lessons and nine carols. And the carols occasionally change. The first one and the last one never do. Um, but the lessons are always the same. And so you know what's coming every year. And I think, if I'm honest, I probably become a little bit immune to the words that were being said. Um, and for me, it's become more about the candles um, and the choir and the orchestra and the kettle drum in Hark the Herald. Honestly, it just does something to you. Um, but last year, I got absolutely brought up short by one of the early readings. Um, and it's the one about the angel appearing to Mary. Um, and it's from Luke 1, starting at verse 26. And it says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am of the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Um, Now, you're going to have to forgive me. If you spent any time with me at all this year, you will have heard me talk about this so many times. Um, Because God has been taking me on a process all year because of that reading. Um, And I was really struck by what Mary said when the angel had just given her the most amazing and probably the most scary news that she'd ever had. Um, And she asked one practical question, how will this be since I am a virgin? And after Gabriel had explained all the technical bit, which actually when you read it, in some ways doesn't really explain anything at all about what she was about to go through. But she just replies, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, I'm someone who has really struggled over the years with not feeling good enough and not thinking that God could actually ever use me for anything. And yet, here is a young girl who is likely to lose her reputation, probably her fiancé, probably her family, to bear a child for who knows what at this point, and she just says yes. And this is what God has kept bringing me back to, what kind of a place must Mary, must Mary have been in to be able to do that? What kind of a relationship did she have with God that she could just say yes and trust him? To be able to give up everything to do what God was asking her to do with just one practical question. And actually, we don't really know very much about Mary, um, but we do know that it wasn't easy. She had to watch her son be rejected by people, to be persecuted, and finally be crucified right in front of her. And yet she kept her faith and her trust in God. And actually, when you read the Bible, the Bible is full of people like that, people who just say yes. Now, some of them struggle, some of them argue, but actually they all say yes. And the reason that they can all say yes is because they all have a God that they put at the center of their lives. And what God's been teaching me over this year is that actually so often I don't do that. I don't have him at the center of my life. And so when I'm asked by him to step out and do something, I shrink back because I don't believe that I'm good enough. I don't have enough faith and trust in the fact that all things are possible through him who strengthens me. And I second guess what it is that God's asking me to do. I think about what people are going to think about me, what my family might say, and I end up doing nothing. And I put me at the center and think I'm rubbish. And actually what I should be doing is putting God at the center. Um, Our series over the last few weeks has been about pursuing a hunger for God. And I found it really challenging. How much do I hunger for a relationship with God that puts him at the center? And how often do I actually put other things at the center of my life and push him out to the side. Um, 
the other day I was listening to the radio, and you're going to have to bear with me here because um, I was on my way to work, so I was kind of zoning in and out about what I was going to have to do during the day and what I was going to have to buy at lunchtime and all sorts of things. And it also, it was a science program. Not a good thing for me. I'm not very scientific-y. But anyway, it was talking about how much of the information we gather about ourselves is taken uh, from our surroundings and how we see them. And that's what so many of us we do. Many of us do. We look at what's happened to us and measure ourselves against people that we think are better looking than us, or cleverer than us, or skinnier than us, or just more confident than us. Um, and we don't seek to put God at the center. We judge ourselves against what we see in other people. Um, we don't put God at the center and see ourselves how God sees us. Um, in Numbers, we're told about Joshua and Caleb um, and how they go into the land that God has promised with them. And they're sent with other spies to go and spy out the land. Um, and we're told that um, lots of the spies come back and uh, they tell of a land that is full of plenty. But they also tell of a land that is full of giants that they can't possibly take because they're all bigger than them. But Joshua and Caleb come back from exactly the same place and tell of a land that God is going to give them. It's the same land and the same giants, but there are different viewpoints. Joshua and Caleb had God at the center and knew that God was a God that could deliver that land for them. To them, the giants were nothing because they had the faith and trust in God that he was with them and they couldn't lose. A people who know God and are hungry for him and put him at the center of everything that they do are a powerful people. We have such a big God, but we often bring him down to our level and make him a small God. God never changes. He is always the same. But our opinion of him and what he can do and the effect that he has on our lives needs to change. In Matthew 6, we're told not to worry um, about anything, but to seek the kingdom of God. And that if we do that first, we will be full of faith. If we are hungry for the kingdom of God, we will be full of faith. And that's amazing, but I don't do that very often. And that's what a lot of this year has been about for me. How hungry am I for God so that he can be center of my life and everything that I do? Um, in Matthew 13, and Lucy um, at Yahweh on Wednesday night um, had a word from God, uh, which was actually a different telling of this one. But in Matthew 13, we're told that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field that a man finds, and then he covers up, and in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has to buy that field. Note that he goes joyfully and that he sells everything. Um, I find it so hard to let things go and to trust God. And often, even if I do that, I'm a bit of a grump, if I'm really honest. Um, and often, it seems like too much of an upheaval. Actually, I'm quite comfortable with my life the way it is. And do I really want to go through all of that, even though I know that there is a treasure at the other end of it? Um, Earlier on this year, I went to the Isle of Man. We had some really good friends on the Isle of Man. And um, I got to go to their church conference, which happens every year. Um, and it was in this big auditorium. They have lots of churches over the Isle of Man, and they all get together. 
So it was in this big kind of auditorium, and we were all sitting in our seats, and the worship band came up, and the worship started. And I ended up being kind of on my own in my seat because everybody had got up and run to the front, and they were all singing and dancing and worshipping. And if I'm really honest, I kind of judged them for a little bit because they were all my age or older, and I thought, whoa, what are you doing? You're all up there dancing away, and I thought, whoa, just stay in your seat and do a bit of worship, really. That's all you need to do. Um, But actually, God really challenged me as I stood and watched them. And what he showed me was a people who love to worship, a people who don't care what they look like, a people who just want to worship an amazing God. And they are so joyful in their worship because they want to praise an amazing God and they want to do it together. Um, Now, you might have noticed that actually I still don't rush to the front and dance. You really don't want to see that on a Sunday morning. But it has changed the way I look at worship. How hungry am I to meet with God in worship? Or actually, do I just come to sing a few good songs that may make me feel better? And in the rest of my life, how much do I look at what is happening around me and find joy even when things are hard? And that's what God's asking us to do all the time. He's asking us to put him at the center of what we're doing and change the way we look at things. Um, The same week, Fiona, the friends that we were staying with, um, asked me how Philly was going. Now, John and Fiona used to come to Philly before they left for the Isle of Man. Um, And we have been at Philly, Gemini, for a long time. And maybe like some of you today, here today, for the past few years, we've been saying, we are at Philly because that's where God's asked us to be. Um, During a period when actually a lot of people and a lot of our friends left. Um, And if I'm really honest, I did that quite grumpily. I actually wanted to be somewhere else, but God was keeping me at Philly. So we stayed, and we grumped a little bit. Um, We stayed, and we looked at the giants and at all the things that we thought we hadn't got and what God wasn't doing at Philly. Um, And I was talking about all this to Fiona, and she asked me again why we were staying. And I a little bit pompously said, uh, we're staying because we're being obedient to what God is asking us to do. Um, And she really challenged me, and she said, actually, I don't think you are. I think you are being, and she used the phrase, disobediently obedient. Um, And we were. We were doing what God was asking us to do, but we were complaining about it all the way and wishing that actually we were somewhere else. Um, I was looking at everything around me and judging it not to be as good as what lots of other people had got. And actually, I was missing what God was really doing in me and really doing at Philly. Um, I was bringing all my past into my present and not looking at what God was doing or actually even what he could do. And don't get me wrong, God still blessed me, and I have grown so much um, over the last few years. Um, But it was all tinged with what I thought could have been better. And I don't think I ever really fully claimed it. Um, I was watching a program the other day that had Liam Payne from One Direction on it, and he got taken out into the Nairobi desert uh, by a guy called Ant Middleton who trains people for the SAS. Um, And he took him out into the middle of the desert to take him away from his normal surroundings and just spent, I think it was three days, just talking to him and asking him lots of questions. 
And Liam Payne was really honest about his life and at one point was talking about a period when he was on the verge of committing suicide. And this SAS guy asked him what it was that stopped him um, and how he got over that. And Liam Payne said that it was the people around him. And then he said, I had to find a different way of looking at things. I had to change the way I looked at things. There's only one thing you can control, and that's you. Now, to a certain extent, he's right. We can only change one thing, and we do need to change the way we look at things. But the advantage we have as believers is that we have a God who is constantly telling us how amazing we are and how much he loves us and how much we can achieve if we only believe and trust in him, if we put him at the center. If we really hunger after him and all that he can do, we can move mountains. Um, but how do we do that? Now, the word, the student word for this year is hibernate. And um, when I first heard that, when Josh first told me, I was like, oh, that's amazing. Hibernation, that is not an action word. I don't have to do anything. I can have a whole year where I just sit and do nothing. Um, it was perfect. Let's spend a year sleeping with God. Amazing. Love sleep. But the more I've dwelt on it, the more that I've spent time with God, actually, he's shown me that it's not that simple. Um, I looked up, eventually, what um, happens in hibernation, and actually, it's really hard. There was one article that said, the physical changes involved in hibernation are far more extreme than what happens during sleep. For some animals, hibernation doesn't even appear to be restful. Oh, well, great. Um, Hibernating with God is not meant to be easy. We need to put him at the center. And as we do that and we hibernate with him, he changes us. And we become more the people that he created us to be when he knit us together in our mother's womb. And we come out stronger. In John 10.10, 10, we're told that we will have life in all its fullness. But it doesn't go on to say that it's going to be easy. In fact, in the same chapter, we're told that there's a thief that is going to come and will kill and destroy if we allow him to. Mary had to watch her son die on a cross, but she did it so that what God had promised would come to pass. When she put God at the center of her life and said yes to the most life-changing thing ever, she didn't know what she was going to have to go through. She didn't know how hard it was going to be. She didn't know what she would have to give up on the way. But she had a God who was a big God and who she trusted and she had such a relationship with him that she was able to say yes almost straight away. Um, Jem's mum and dad um, are amazing people. Uh, they're very intellectual. So to start with, I had a bit of a strange relationship with them. They were a bit scary to start with for me. Um, but they have had a life um, where they have always put God at the center they both became Christians in their early teens um, and were so hungry to do what it was that God was asking them to do, to find out who he was and who they were in him. And they have spent a lifetime of saying yes to him. Um, now, they sometimes get it wrong. Jem's mum, when she was at university, was convinced that God was asking her to go and be a missionary to the Eskimos. So for three years, uh, she asked for the topmost flat in halls and she spent all winter with all the windows open so that she could acclimatize herself to being really, really cold when she went to the Eskimos. 
um, and she ended up in Nigeria. Um, so not the, great, not the greatest um, um, introduction to that one. Um, and it hasn't been easy for them. You know, they have three children, and all three of their children went to boarding school at five. Um, they hold belongings, even today, uh, when they moved, I was telling Josh the other day, when they moved to their current house, uh, we were all given a box, all three kids, we were given a box of all the presents that we'd ever given them while they were in their old house. Um, because they, they just hold things so lightly. When they were missionaries in Africa, um, they were forever selling everything out the back door so that they could put food on the table. Um, so it hasn't been easy. They've never lived where they wanted to live. They have always prayed and they have always sought God and they have always asked him where he wants them to be. Where will they be of most use for him? But you know what? They are some of the most contented peaceful people that I have ever met. And that's because they have what Mary had and what Joshua and Caleb have and what we can have if we seek for it. They have a big God that they put in the center of everything, a God that they can trust with everything. And they say yes to what God asked them to do, even if it's hard, because they know that God will be with them and that they can have joy and peace in whatever it is that they're asked to do. So as we start to enter Advent next week, um, I just want to leave you with a couple of questions. How hungry are you for God to have him at the center of everything that you do? And I think for some of us, we probably need to leave. I certainly have had to let go of some things that means that God can be at the center, that means that actually he's not pushed out to the side, that he is in the middle of everything that we do. And that's just another, another um, question. Where do you need to let go of yourself and get yourself out of the way so that actually you can put him at the center? And like Mary and so many other people that, that we have around us, put him at the center so that you can just say yes to what it is that he's asking you to do. Amen.